Hello, dear listeners of the Mad Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cogswell, here with my co-host, Marie Mayhew. Oh my God, Cogs, you know what I was wondering? What were you wondering, Marie? I am wondering what it would take to build an elevator to the moon. Oh my goodness. I like to think that this is the ultimate burner question. Like, this is what you would ask after, like, smoking up for hours in college and being like, guys, you know what? Well, like, what if you build an elevator to the moon? (laughs) What if you build an elevator to the moon? What if you could build an elevator to the moon, you guys? We actually had somebody message us. I've got to find. I mean, right after, right after you would do like, you know, you'd get back from like laser, laser Zeppelin Right. It's planetarium. It's yeah, it's a so OK. The concept of what Marie's talking about is called a space elevator. Space also elevator. known as a space tether, as a space uh, a space line, like a couple of different things over the years. Not it, a space escalator, not a space escalator, though. Um, <laughs> that would be equally also bitchin'. stairs. Thank you for the convenience. The. Um, we're going to talk about space elevators. Let's get into it, Marie. Let's do it. Jake, roll oh the tape. Oh, my God. So, space elevator, Marie. First off, okay, how do you think it would work? How do I think it would work? <laughs> yeah. First of all, you'd you'd have to put down the bong. You'd have to have all the NASA scientists... <laughs> Put down the bomb. Yes. Walk away from the edibles. Let's get some clean, you know, get some fresh air in here. I mean, like, I, it's feasible. Like when I was first seeing this come up, I was like, that can't be, that can't be, that can't be true. I don't know. Like, I would assume that you would need some, uh, good Lord, that you would need some ginormous tether or some, construction that would go past our atmosphere Mm -hmm. into space that a ship could could uh or a you know whatever yeah ship could uh attach itself to and be raised past past the past that point like i haven't even read any of the articles on this this is me just trying to take a pot shot at it (laughs) all right like Am I close? Yeah, you're actually like, you're actually pretty close. So, all right. So the the initial idea. So first off, what do we actually mean by a space elevator or a space tether? These are the things. The first idea that came about for it was in like 1895. A scientist from Russia named Konstantin Tsiolkovsky looked at the Eiffel Tower in Paris and was like, again, put down the bong and then was like, what if we built a tower so tall it reached the moon or <laughs> it went into space? And so what what he thought was, if you built a tower from the Earth into space that was so high, it went up to what's called geostationary orbit. So the point in space where an object at that point in space will be stationary with the surface of the Earth, that it's above. Uh-huh. So basically like, so basically, and that that height is thirty five thousand seven hundred and eighty six kilometers. And so the basic idea is like, so the Earth is always spinning, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. The Earth is rotating about its axis and it's and also it's round. First, let's just let's just back it up. All right. Let's just back up and start with the basics. It's round, people. The Earth is round. It's a yeah. sphere. Check. And it's constantly spinning. It's rotating about its axis and it's also constantly moving through space, of course. Now, objects that get objects around the Earth are essentially attracted to its gravitational field. Yes. And again, we talked we actually talked in the last series on time travel how gravitational fields it's not really an attraction, it's more almost like a it's almost like more it's more like almost a well in space-time where stuff starts to kind of move towards. So it's like again, you hold a um it's like holding a uh, a bed sheet taut and then putting a bowling ball in the center of it. If you release other things, they'll start moving towards the bowling ball. Yes. So the basic idea here is that there's a point far enough away from the Earth that it's a tr it's so attra it's still attracted enough to the gravity that it'll spin with the Earth, that it'll kind of it'll always fall towards the Earth. But it's far enough away that the object as it falls will actually always fall in the same line. So it's almost like it's spinning with the Earth. So, it, yeah. So, it, so it, yeah. what it ends up looking like is happening is it's spinning with the Earth at a constant rate. Yes. That is geostationary orbit. Yes. Okay. Okay. So any object then at the, so the top of the tower in this guy's idea would mm -hmm. be in geostationary orbit so that any object that you released from the top of the tower would also have enough velocity uh, to stay in orbit around the Earth as well. So it's a good idea in some principle, but like. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. <laughs> what are you talking I was, about? I was, just trying to, I was just trying to like soft, like just be like, you know, a compliment sandwich, right? So it's a good first try. Uh, but like how, like with the tallest building at that time, I don't even know what it was. Like at a certain point, you just couldn't build any higher. So, yeah. So the, and that's way before geostationary orbit is what so, my guess is. Yeah. So the pro so the problem. OK, so first off, what what um, Tsiolkovsky thought of was what's known as a compression structure. Now, a compression structure is the way that most normal buildings are built. What do I, what do I mean by a compressive structure? A compressive structure is one like Marie, like you're saying, the weight of stuff. So. Like. Pressure and weight are actually the same thing. Sort of. Okay. So pressure is just the weight of stuff above you hitting on the point, hitting on a certain point. All yes. right. So so pressure, the equation for pressure mathematically the way that we represent it is pressure is equal to force over area. Mm -hmm. And weight is just the force of gravity. Yes. So when you like go 10,000 feet under the ocean or in the ocean, mm -hmm. the pressure you're feeling at that point in the ocean is due to the 10,000 feet of water above you. Right. Plus the weight of the atmosphere above you as well. So it's kind of crushing you. Exactly. So it's crushing yeah. you. Yeah, it's kind of crushing. So and pressure, actually, it doesn't matter like horizontal. Um, like the pressure that a 
the pressure that like a really um it doesn't matter how wide the ocean is if you're 10,000 feet down you'll feel 10,000 feet of pressure so it doesn't like the the actual total amount of water doesn't matter it's just the amount of water above your area above the surface yes. area that feels the weight Yes. Okay. 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 That makes sense. So for a compression structure, the biggest challenge is that if you're building an object that's 36,000 kilometers tall, that's 36,000 kilometers of object weight on top of the, pre you know, on top of whatever the base of the object is. So basically it's just going to fall through. Yeah. Like it would, like it would just like bore into the earth. Yes. Yeah. So there's there's no object. Mm -hmm. There's there's no material on the planet that we've ever even conceived of that is strong enough to withstand that amount of weight. There's like a maximum height that a that a that a building could be essentially before it starts doing that. Yeah. Right. 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 And so and that's like right. determined based on like how much. What's the word? That depends. It, it depends on a bunch of different things. It kind of depends on like the ability of it's basically depends on like the the. The amount of compressive stress, the object or the material itself could could hold on to. Yeah, OK, yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's like a couple different things that stop us from building materials that from building stuff that tall. Right. And there, it's actually not just material either. It's like if you get that high up, like like Marie, you're. You you travel to Colorado a lot. The difference even in just like the the atmosphere um, between like Colorado and say like California or New York or whatever, that's significant enough that it can make some people feel sick. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. So it's an it issue of like slow you down. Yeah. Exactly. So it's not even just an issue of like it's not even just an issue of material strength. It's like human ability to like withstand that amount of pressure or not pressure. Couldn't. Yeah. No. Yeah. So here's a quick question, though, Go going back to your building analogy. So wouldn't it also matter like it would be affected with what is the what the object is being built on as well? Yes. Right. How quickly it would bore into the how quickly it would actually sink or bore into the, the ground. Yeah. So you would, yeah. So the base, the base of right. the object or the base, like the ground where you decide to build this thing would right. have to be like exceptionally sturdy right. and strong as well. And I also frankly, probably quite wide. Yeah. Well, I bring this up just because, you know, talking about towers um, in San Francisco, the millennial tower, mm -hmm. right. Which I don't know if you've read about or know about, but it was this, huge tower that was uh built downtown oh god i want to say at least five six years ago now maybe more um probably definitely more so the millennial tower was supposed to be its its state of the art it it was selling it, this is the height of san francisco real estate so mm -hmm. you know an 800 square foot uh space was selling for over a million right they mm -hmm. they built all of it um I think they even, you know, they even accounted for earthquake with the top, uh, with water, you know, some water balancing something in the top of it. But what they didn't account for was that it would sink. <laughs> so the Millennial Tower, because they didn't bore down to sea level or to, 
whatever to get the to get the moorings. They didn't take the proper precaution and it is now sinking. Yeah. And so there are countless lawsuits about it, which is pretty crazy. So when they built the um when Oracle built the the PeopleSoft building down here, um, they actually did do an entire excavation to to get the mooring straight to to be able to to build. I think it's the PeopleSoft. It's some ginormous tower. It's pretty cool. Um yeah, so I was just thinking like so forget about even trying to get too, you know, too high by the time, you know, if it's anywhere, I don't know, I don't know what, well, maybe the ground in, in Russia is pretty rocky and pretty solid that they might be able to withstand some pressure. But at a certain point, you couldn't just do that anywhere if you could do it at all. Crazy. Yeah. That's my, my science light. No, no, you're, I mean, you're, compl- you're, you're completely correct. Like you would need, <laughs> um, not only that, but you would need a portion of the earth that doesn't move at all. Right, right. Is, yeah, you couldn't have like, any seismic activity. The right, which isn't crack, which, which is, isn't anywhere. So, no. you know, um, it, that the idea of like a compressive structure just really doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. The <laughs> the other problem. Nice try, though. Again, so closing, that was it. Was a really interesting that compliment idea. sandwich. It was a really interesting <laughs> idea. And so what? What then? People. So this this was proposed in 1895 by this guy. Yes. What was then proposed by another Russian scientist, or I guess an engineer, by uh, Yuri Artutanov, said, well, okay, what if instead of doing a compressive structure, so like a tower, mm-hmm. what if we use, like you were saying, Marie, what yeah. if you made a satellite that was already in geostationary orbit, and then mm. you just throw a rope down, basically? <laughs> And you just toss a rope down. You you well, kind kind of yeah. Like you you toss a rope a rope down, and then um you tether that rope like a Bugs to the Bunny earth. cartoon or something. You, well, so kind of so you tether you tether that rope to the earth, and then you have a counterweight above the tether above geostationary orbit to keep it in constant rotation with the Earth's surface. And so essentially, what you're doing is you're going from an object that uses compressive strength, so pressure uh-huh. from above to keep it uh-huh. still to using centrifugal force. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. what does centrifugal uh-huh. force mean? Centrifugal force is this idea or it's the, it's the sort of force that you get when you spin a, like when you hold an object with a string in your hand and then you throw, you spin mm-hmm. it around your head, like with a yo-yo mm-hmm. before your mom takes it away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, you're, you're spinning the yo-yo around. Mm-hmm. Um, the force that the yo-yo feels at the end of it, and actually the force that's felt on the rope is a centrifugal force. So what it is, is it's the force that is felt. So there's kind of, there's two, there's two forces that are going on. First off, you're spinning the object around and say a constant loop. The force that, and so this is also what you feel on like a roller coaster. So the force that feels like it's it's pushing you um it's pushing Back. you out of the circle. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or out of the loop, that's centrifugal force. Uh-huh. The force that's kind of the force that the rope is feeling, that's kind of pushing it um pushing you pushing the rope back down or the tension sort of thing. That's that's a different type of force. And then you have the path that the object actually spins in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in the and the the force that um, 
the force that the rope feels is centripetal force. Oh, right. Centripetal and centripetal of... versus centrifugal. Okay. So oh. this idea uh, was originally published in, in Russia. And this is, again, in the 60s. So there wasn't like a lot of stuff coming out from Russia. So this was published in the um, um, Komsomol, Komsomolskaya Pravda in 1960. It wasn't oh, available Pravda. in English right away. Yeah. And basically what they said was, OK, well, if we did this, one of the things we'd have to worry about was the, the cable thickness would have to change like the cable itself would have to change thickness the rope yeah the rope <laughs> yeah. because the rope is so long that right and, and then here's the thing too with normal like centrifugal force with like an object on like a yo-yo on a string uh-huh um this the the person like you're changing the amount of force that's there by by choosing how fast you move the yo-yo how fast you spin right and the rope, the length of the rope uh, is so small that there's not a big difference in the length or there's not a big difference in the force that's felt along the rope. Does that make sense to you? It does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm but as the I'm rope tracking. gets longer and longer, it's yeah, the, it gets harder and harder to retain that force. So it'll spin. So you have to spin faster. So you have to spin faster. And eventually you might hit a point or you could hit a point where um, the rope is so long that essentially there's just not enough tension in the rope for you to actually cause the thing to spin. Right. OK. OK. Right. So there's basically a point where like you, you know, an asshole with a giant yo-yo um, where you get tangled <laughs> up in the rope. <laughs> right. So the uh, so I, I was so, I was thinking you were gonna say it reaches a point and I'm like where you knock over Dora's face and no, then it's like no 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 we're done for the day the the pro so the problem yeah is that the problem is that the um so the rope the, suddenly then in that sort of system the rope you choose is really important like the type yes. of the tether you use is really important it has to be really strong it has to be somewhat flexible but sort of inflexible as well so that you can get the right tension you need and also again in this case the force that the so if you think about a space tether in this mm -hmm. sense the force that the tether feels like the it's force that's different. felt at the at the earth uh-huh right yeah it's gonna at be that really point on the earth felt yeah you're feeling you're not only feeling the force of gravity from the earth. You're also feeling the force of the pressure from all of the material above you. Right. So actually at the space tether base, you would feel more gravity than other people outside of the space tether base. Yes. Or you would have yes. more downward force pushing on you. Right. And the, the, the amount of force, <clears throat> sorry, the amount of force pushing on the rope would change the closer it gets to geo. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Because yes. you have less gravity. And that's why you right? need the counterweight. That's why you would need a counterweight. Okay. Hey, yep. look, we're building this baby. <laughs> All right. And so that, that basically was the proposal. And so that guy initially published it in 1960. Some other ideas came out like in 1960s again. Um, but really yeah. the, the next really serious the one. What's up with the Russians wanting to do this? Dude, the Russians, were, the Russians were like, we need to beat the Americans to space, but we have no yeah. money or materials. Comrade. Um, <laughs> comrade. 
Oh, I, so, th- I throw rope from space. You catch rope. <laughs> we build we it out of Stalin's, Stalin's mustache hairs. Um, <laughs> Stalin's strongest mustache material hairs. known to mankind. The, the, the next serious concept <laughs> was published in the journal Science in 1966 by Isaacs, Vine, Bradner, and Backus, who were American engineers, and they called it the Skyhook. I remember this. Yes. I remember Skyhook. So I remember. Well, do I remember? Am I remembering this from a James Bond movie? Or no, I'm remembering this from a Batman movie. Forget yes, it, the sky, it, the sky tether, the sky hook that Batman used to get out of China or whatever. I, maybe, yep. maybe that's. That, yes. I know I remember it before that, though. But I also the, remember it from the uh, Batman movie. Now, in their that's version, in their version, the cable would be straight. It would have no variations in cross section area. In their assumption, and what they ended up finding was that uh, the there was no material on Earth that could possibly be strong enough to to make this work. Like Aww. they 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 were like, what if we make it out of diamond? What if we make it out of quartz? What if we make it out of graphite? Like, what if we make it out of you know like steel? Like they they tried the hard the the best materials we knew of at the time, and they couldn't right. find anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's uh, we're gonna take a break and come back with more space elevator crap. All right. Now, so those guys in 66 said this can't be done currently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 75, another guy comes along, Jerome Pearson, mm-hmm. and says, okay, well, what if we what if we change around some of these things? Yeah. Yeah. So he said, okay, well, first it's off, it's not going to work as is. No, it's not going to work as is. <laughs> so first off, let's get rid of the idea that the cable has to be one length or one cross-sectional area. He said that's yes. stupid. And it, and it is stupid. That's not the way to do it, probably. He said that it should essentially be um, tapered. So in other words, like the um, the cable will get thicker and thinner in certain spots where it needs to be. So the place where the the place where it has to be the thickest is where the object is in orbit in geostationary orbit. Because that's okay. where the tension it feels is the greatest. Right. Right. Because that's the, the end. Yeah. That's the point oh. where it's being pulled both from the counterweight side and from the earth side. Yes. So that's why it has to be thickest there because it's feeling the most tension. Yes. And then said, well, okay, if that's the thickest part, we can make it thinner and thinner the closer it gets to the ends. And the point okay. of that was to say, you could limit the amount of force or tension or not tension, the amount of pressure essentially, or, or kind of a pulling force that the rope or the cable feels at any point then. Right. Right. So it gets rid of those problems of like every single point in this rope has to be strong enough to support um, the, the entire thing. Yeah. Right. He also was the first person that suggested a counterweight that could be extended out. So basically, he's the first person to say you start building the space elevator, but you don't need the counterweight already in place. You would just do that. You would do that basically to, kind of towards the middle. A counterweight on the in the in the middle of it and not on. No, the no, ends. no. So no, no. Okay. So what, what Sorry, I mean yeah. by in the middle of it is in the middle of construction. Oh, OK. okay. So previous oh, yeah, thoughts okay. had been you put it into space and you throw the rope down. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's and right. he's saying, no, that's silly. Down. 
We that build it and then we put the counterweight up once it's like partially built. I think that. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tracking. Now, tracking. What was really interesting was his counterweight, he said, had to be 89,000 miles off the surface of the Earth. Hmm. Which is about halfway to the moon. Hmm. That and seems so, like a whole other construction issue. I'm just going <sighs> to. And so what he was saying, and basically it like the amount of material and everything else for that design would have required like a tremendous amount of people. Like it would have required like yeah. multiple, multiple, multiple sh- uh, trips into space. Like it's just crazy. You know what I mean? It's like, well, well at that point, why yeah. don't we just spend send spaceships out into space? Yeah. Well, and the thing that the thing that's kind of crazy too is it's like w- this is just to get the base, the tether, right? This isn't even saying how things are going to travel, no. traverse up and down. No, no. this is right? just or what it's going it to do built. when it gets up. Like, like when it gets up, what does it do? It's not like it's you know there's another you know there's another story that it can just step off on. <laughs> you know, it has no. to actually go into space or. But the idea of this, I assume the idea of a space tether or a space elevator is is financial and economic, right? Like, how do we get how do we get things like things into space cheaper that aren't necessarily, um, you know, that aren't necessarily rocket propelled, that aren't necessarily ships, right? Like goods, like you're trying to get goods from one place to another is what I would assume eventually this would be. So it's sort of like, well, if you're just sending up like, I don't know, coconuts or whatever it is, right? Whatever the thing is, nuts and bolts, coconuts, you know, bottles of jam, whatever, sending into space. Bottles of jam. What's going to happen to them when they're up there? I need my fig spread for my cheese that I have up here, my moon cheese. My moon Um, cheese, right? But I mean, seriously, like... Well, you're sort of... Because isn't that that the ultimate... You know, yeah. I'm, maybe I'm jumping ahead, but isn't that the ultimate reason that somebody would sink all money, all of this money into it? It's, it's not just to make, uh, you know, t- uh, take off and trajectory easier. It's it's economics. It's like this is how we are going to beat the Russians in getting all of this stuff into space to build a Death Star or whatever it's it is. The, yeah, it's it's it is definitely so. OK, it's definitely the idea is definitely like you're saying to transport materials. Yeah. Because, like, here's the thing. Every, like, every kilogram of weight on a space shuttle mm-hmm. is thousands of dollars of extra yeah, development. Yeah, yeah. And every yeah. kilogram is another kilogram of something you can't have. Right. So they really have to, the weight management of, like, a space shuttle is, is extremely important. And so these technologies on space elevators or wherever, they're always, like, you're, like, you're, like, you're assuming correct, completely correctly. The assumption is always that these are going to be used to transport basically bulk goods up and down. Right. You know, and like right. maybe these will also transport people potentially, but um, but probably not. Right. The idea is always that these would uh, these are going to be used to like, you know, we have a we have a launch site, say, like on the moon or on the tether or whatever. Right. You know, so, yeah, no, you're totally right. So. I think your question of the economic kind of feasibility of this, like if you're, if the problem you're trying to solve is to get stuff into space, mm-hmm. if your solution is that you require to put a bunch of stuff into space, that's probably not a good solution. 
Well, it's it's a very costly solution. I mean, yeah. if it could be, well, we're we're already jumping ahead, but like we're we're already we're already jumping ahead on the whole on the whole space. Right. We, don't, we, don't, we don't even have a working model yet. The pro <laughs> the well, the problem too, or the other problem too, is we haven't even come, we haven't even talked about like like we mentioned one other issue already, or actually you mentioned one um, as well earlier too, which was. Okay, you have to think about what this will do to the Earth, like the Earth itself. Can it withstand this amount of force or this weight or whatever? Yeah. Like, how do you build? How do you build a stable enough tether point on either end? Right. That's kind of really what your issue boils down to with like the Millennium Tower, right? Yeah, and exactly. The other, well, the and other what is one this is doing to the Earth. Yeah, all this weight is a you know, it's like it's swinging something. Right. Right. The the other one is. The other issue is there is like lots of shit in space. Oh, my God. Yeah. Floating around. Like you <gasps> said before, too. Right. There's lots of uh, there's debris and there's asteroids like, and like there's got to be like 70 or 80 Teslas up there now. Too, oh, there's right? a, there's actually it's really funny. One of the most <laughs> famous or maybe not most famous. My favorite object in space is a screwdriver that was left by a Russian cosmonaut. Um, who never picked it up again. He just like left. He like, floated away and he was like, well, you know. Ah, Sukobliat. Ah. <laughs> it just went away. Oh, um, my, my driver of screw is gone. Oh. So, um, the, and like, besides that too, you can think like, mm -hmm. will these materials oh, yeah, degrade? How junk. do you, how, okay, if a well, piece of the cable is gonna be breaks. This, well, all this, all this, all this debris could be like hitting the tether. Yes, right? 100%. And probably, you know, destroying its you know the integrity of it so what happens if this tether snaps like well that's what i was like gonna say Trevishan or whatever if, the uh it, it yeah what happens if it snaps that thing is flying into space the earth just goes flying into space but both of them do right like if it if it's like if so it's spinning from the earth right and let's say it snaps isn't this the same sort of isn't this the same sort of trajectory as um, as the siege weapon as like the the, the trebuchet? The trebuchet, yeah. <laughs> so the earth, okay. So the earth is heavy enough that um, the earth is the earth is the weight. The earth is the center of mass, right? right. So or like the weight, you know, the the earth is heavier than like you know a million of these things together. So the earth wouldn't change. What right. what you could expect though would be like you're saying, like a. Um, like a shot put thrower, though. Yeah. If it if it snaps, yeah. we're shooting snaps. off like a big heavy thing off into space. Like we basically we've basically created a or a death uh, trebuchet, not trebuchet, a a death shot put. It's a shot. Yeah, put. I guess it's it is a trebuchet, really trebuchet. a space trebuchet. Yeah, space. And trebuchet, on top of that, too, kind of cooler. On top of that, elevator. too, <laughs> like anyone who's ever seen like a high like a. Anyone who's ever watched like a video of a cable getting snapped that's under tension yeah. or even like like I play guitar. If a guitar string snaps, it, it snaps a lot back. of force. It, it cuts you pretty good. It can, it can gash mm -hmm. you pretty good. Like mm -hmm. just imagine this thing snaps and then like a, this huge cable comes rap, you know, ratcheting down to the surface of the earth. That um, could probably cause some damage, too. Yeah. So. All right. There's a lot of there's a lot of problems here. Right. We're being negative Nancy's. We are, we're never, we are never going to get that moon cheese up there. We keep talking like if we keep thinking like this. 
So with our can't do attitudes. The next <laughs> can't do attitudes. The next big development in like the space mm-hmm. elevator race, I guess, was the development of carbon nanotubes. Mm. And that happened in like the 1990s. Now, nice. for listeners, for listeners who don't know what a carbon nanotube is, which is probably a few of us, probably <laughs> a few of us. Uh, OK, so a carbon nanotube. So we talked about in again, the, we actually talked about in the last episode how carbon can take on a bunch of different uh, shapes, like a bunch of different crystal structures mm-hmm. and how depending on the crystal structure, it makes carbon you know, it can be very, very strong like diamond or it can be very weak like graphene or graphite mm-hmm. rather. Mm-hmm. Or even coal, like coal is all carbon. You can crush it in your hand. A carbon nanotube essentially is a it's a sheet of carbon. So it's like it's like graphene mm-hmm. in that it's sheeted initially. But what happens with the carbon nanotube is the sheet ends like a like a piece of paper, the sheet ends sort of wrap around and come together and form a single structure. Hmm. And so and carbon nanotubes are extremely strong. They're extremely, extremely strong. Hmm. So the idea was, well, if we could use a carbon nanotube material or, or a material that is strengthened with carbon nanotubes, then we might be able to create we might be able to create the tether. Then. Hmm. And so one of the ideas was by uh, Bradley C. Edwards, an American scientist who said we have a 62,000 mile long, um, basically a paper thin ribbon of a carbon nanotube composite. Mm. And so he said this ribbon would be big enough that like climbers could go up and down with rollers on it. Hmm. And his his actual system got the farthest of any of them into feasibility studies. Like they even talked about like they actually talked about like how long would it take to build this? Oh, how yeah. expensive are are carbon nanotubes? Well, so here's the problem. Curiosity. Here's the problem that they all came to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The way that we currently like. OK, so let's just look it up quick. Carbon He's crunching cost. some numbers, folks. Lifetime. So Lifetime science happening here. When I was working in the lab, mm-hmm. they were pretty fucking expensive. Um, you just this is, to put a lot on your credit okay, card. So this, is carbon, this is a carbon cards, nanotube. Man. Sorry, say that again, Marie. I said we'd be maxing out some serious credit cards. Hope NASA's uh, credit score is good. This is a 100 by 100 millimeter carbon nanotube sheet. Mm-hmm. It is seven hundred and seventy dollars. All right, so it's a uh, it's a little spendy. It's a lot. It's top shelf. We got some top shelf shit it's happening here. The problem, the the pro, uh-huh. and this one is this one is a multi walled carbon nanotube array that's vertically aligned on a silica substrate. Okay, mm-hmm. one thousand three hundred dollars each. You would also probably need to specially construct like that's just what off the shelf. <laughs> So, well, these the are just carbon nanotubes. Yeah, these are materials. just being yeah. bought. I mean, the so the OK, the, the problem with this, there's a couple of different problems. What do you buy that on really quick? Is that like an Amazon thing? A Sigma Aldrich. OK. Chemical <laughs> company. The, pro, the problem with carbon nanotubes or any of these like carbon materials like graphenes or graphites, uh-huh. or graphite, not so much graphenes, whatever. The, the manufacturing process is super complicated. 
Uh, and well, actually, yeah. no, that's not true. The, the manufacturing process isn't super complicated. The problem is that they don't really exist out of water all that stably. Oh, great. They're not super stable outside of solution. And besides that, they're mm -hmm. like, no one has ever made one. No one is like the longest anyone has ever made one is like. Maybe a meter long, maybe mm -hmm. a meter long. Well, that's not really going to get us to the moon. No. So. So so it, it went as far as the feasibility study and then they're like, yeah. Yeah, basically they found like, OK, these aren't these aren't really that feasible. They're very, very complicated to make. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they're. um, Yeah, they seem to have. So actually, I just looked it up here. The longest carbon nanotube grown so far is about a half a meter long. Hmm. And they're grown on a on a silicon substrate using chemical vapor deposition. And so essentially what that means is it's. Um, essentially, you grow. Um, mm -hmm. Chemical vapor deposition is like you shoot atoms at a surface, essentially. Um and grow it like a specific way. It's very interesting, actually. It's really cool. How long? So does that take a long time to grow? Mm, that I don't know, actually. I would imagine it probably takes. What does this paper say? Because let's just pretend that you, you know, you decided that you had to grow <clears throat> like you're like, OK, that's a good option. Let's and we're somehow going to fuse all of them together. Each of those half meters like the amount of resources that you would need to do that to scale that up is ridiculous. Mm. Like you couldn't scale that. That's unscalable is what my guess would be. You wouldn't have enough resources or enough real estate to do that. No, I mean, in a time, yeah, it doesn't fashion. really say, it doesn't really say here how long it took, but I would imagine though, just based on like, I've, I've worked with people that do chemical vapor deposition techniques otherwise. And usually mm -hmm. it takes like, takes like a good day to grow something that's like, you know, millimeters thick so i'm assuming it took mm -hmm. them a very long time but I, I i don't know i don't know for sure again it doesn't it just doesn't seem like you'd be able to realize anything you wouldn't be able to get your raw goods ready for production for years and years and years and years, no. and years right yeah. like yeah. and so the the team and so the the team that actually figured this out was the google google has google x yeah mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so they're they looked at this as an option and they basically found okay that there's it's there's just no way to make these carbon nanotubes yet that this is going to work for this so they just right. decided we're not going to worry about it right now we're just going to keep an eye on carbon nanotube technology so google x is actually was looking into the whole space elevator thing as yes. well yes a whole oh like God. loads of people have like um yeah, like Sorry. the amount of the amount of companies that are spending money on this to like try this is crazy i can imagine um, can imagine because yeah. if you were able to do this, if you were able to figure this out, this would be the this. Even though I was making fun of it as a stoner thing, it would it is a huge that would be a huge uh, that would be a huge thing. I mean, scientifically, but I'm also going to say like money wise, like well, that would be it's, insane. It's really interesting. So in 2019, the International Academy of Astronautics 
published a report called Road to the Space Elevator Era. And in it, they said basically that, that they basically said, like, looking at all of this work that's been done and talking to people, um, space elevators still seem completely feasible and probably are closer than we think. Like, like a lot of a lot of what they're saying, a lot of what the issue is, again, is the strength of the material. And we mm-hmm. make strides in material strength every every year, you mm-hmm. know. So at this mm-hmm. point, it's only a matter of time, really, before somebody devises a way to make a graphene or a carbon nanotube or some other carbon based material that is strong enough and, and manufacturably malleable enough. Uh, or malleable manufacturing wise enough to be used for this technology. So really hmm. space elevator is like one of those things that in our lifetime, maybe we would see start to be built. I mean, they're hmm. already being kind of built they're already being tested, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting one. It's a weird, it's a weird, it's a weird idea, Marie. It's a weird stoner idea that actually would probably revolutionize a lot of things, which is, you know, I will, I'll give it up to our stoner community, which happens kind of, you know, more often than not with some of that stuff. Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, you know, next, uh, definitely next episode, we'll be talking about why, you know, they call them fingers, but you never see them thing. Um, <laughs> you know, do you think Amy likes me? Like all that stuff. We talk about your stoner Amy friends. Amy likes me. <laughs> all right. <laughs> listeners, thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, my please, cat's mind. <laughs> please consider telling your friends and family about our show. Every new listener is a huge help to us. Consider supporting us on Patreon or leaving a like on our YouTube channel, which you can follow us on as well now as well. And um, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Oh my God. That was hysterical. Thank you again, dear listeners, for listening to the Mad Scientist podcast. I have been your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by my co-host, Marie Mayhew. If you'd like to contact the show, please send us an email at themadscientistpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter at madscientistpod or at teamgiantsquid for Marie. And of course, you can see us on Facebook, on Instagram, and all over the internet as the Mad Scientist Podcast. And again, our logo is the one with the pumpkin head, so it's easy to see. Mm-hmm. If you've enjoyed the show tonight, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where the money that you give to us will help us to promote this show further, to make it better, and just to spend more time making it. Because we love doing that. We do love doing that. Our logo was designed by Carrie Shaheen. Our web design is done by Desdemona Howard. Woo-hoo. And our sound design is done by Jake Cardinal. Thanks again for listening. (laughs) Thank you. This has been a damn it chippy production.